my scarf. I was looking for this. Awesome. That's a good sign right there. Amen. All right. How many of you guys know that the devil is a liar? Man, I've been feeling sick for the past couple of days. And today I've just been, it's just been getting worse and worse. And I'm just thinking to myself, my message must be really good tonight. Because devil's scared, I'll tell you that much. But what I want you to do is I just want you to come in agreement with me um, to break off just this fever that I have. Let's just, can we just break that? And then I just believe that by the end of this message, I'll be completely fine. So let's just, just stretch out your hands towards me and take off my shoes because I like that. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Pray. You pray. Yeah, Father, I just thank you for your truth, Lord. And I just trust, not in facts, but in truth that is unchanging. And God, I just decree and declare that I'm completely healed. I just thank you that the Spirit of God is strengthening me right now. I thank you, Lord, that you're just going to release a fresh download, a fresh revelation, God. Oh, Lord, that's going to impact, feed, challenge your people, Lord. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll put the shoes back on because I feel short. You know, I heard of this one story. I forgot who the speaker was, but um, they were preaching and they, they lost their voice at some point or their voice was just damaged in the first place. And in the middle of the message, I think he was preaching about healing and he was talking about by your stripes. We are healed. And like in the middle of that sentence, all of a sudden is completely healed. You just got to, you just got to preach. Anyway, I just want you guys to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs has been my book for this year. I mentioned in a message uh, previously that this new year, 2011, started with me going to the dentist like every week. No joke. Thank you, Chris, for empathizing with my suffering. But I went to the dentist like every single Monday I was going to the dentist because I had like five cavities. And uh, it was just digging deep cavities out and fresh fillings and all this stuff. But I remember thinking, yeah, because I had to take out old ones too. All right, don't, don't judge. And um, before the dentist or after the dentist, I'd always kind of have my date with God. And I remember just journaling and be like, man, I hate the dentist. I hate it. And I remember thinking, um, I'm a big dreamer. So I have this book uh, called Interpreting Dreams and Visions. And in this book, uh, kind of gives you like a biblical reference to what symbols could possibly mean for your dreams. And uh, for teeth, it represents wisdom. And I remember I used to have all these dreams of my teeth falling out, you know, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I was just, you know, journaling and I was like, I wonder if this means anything. And I just felt like God was just saying that he was going to renew wisdom in my life, that he was going to dig out things that just didn't belong there. 
the foolishness of the world, and he was going to renew wisdom. And so when I heard that, I remember thinking, man, I got to really read Proverbs. Because when I think wisdom, I think Proverbs. You know, I think if I need wisdom, I got to go to Proverbs. And so I've been really meditating on this book. And so I'm just going to share a little bit from Proverbs chapter 15. Let's go to 31 to 33. Uh, Let's just read that together. 31 to 33. Here we go. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Man, you know, this is something that God has been really teaching me about this year in particular, is that reproof or a rebuke or correction is life-giving. It is life-giving. When you get a word that corrects you, it is life-giving. Now, I've experienced a whole lot of corrective words from, you know, my parents that did not feel life-giving at all. In fact, it felt more like destructive. But, you know, the truth is that a correction that's done in the spirit of love is life-giving. You know, and, uh, I was really just thinking about that, what that really meant. And I was thinking about my own relationship with my spiritual mentor. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you got to get corrected. Okay, a lot of times, all right, you got to get corrected and rebuked. And, and, you know, I was just thinking about what rebuke really means. Why is a reproof or rebuke life-giving? Why is it so life-giving? And when I thought about it, I realized, man, it's because it's not about exposing your wrong, but showing you who you really are. Now, when I have my mentor correct me, what he's doing is not establishing me in my mistake. He's saying, that's not you. What you just did is not you. When you responded like that, when you reacted like that, when you got upset, that's actually not who you are. So when he began to rebuke me or correct me, what he was correcting me to was a a right idea of my identity. Now, when I have a right idea of my identity, then I begin to behave as though uh, coming from a place of who I truly believe I am. If I believe that I'm someone that is patient and I truly believe that I will exude and manifest patience. If I believe that I'm someone that struggles with patience and has a hard time dealing with patience, then most likely I will manifest impatience. This faith is a powerful thing. Faith is a very powerful thing. And I find myself, when I get corrected, what's happening is, is I'm being told, hey, you acted in a way that's actually not who the Bible says you are. And it's just, what's going on is I'm being brought back to the truth of my identity. It's a powerful thing. What ends up happening is what we take it as is it's a correction. Therefore, we get established more in our mistakes. And we walk away thinking, man, I did it again. Man, I messed up again. Man, foolishness. Foolishness. I'm walking in foolishness. And we, and the devil tries to twist and turn where the true reproof is and tries to establish you in your mistake when a true correction establishes you in your actual biblical identity. It's life-giving. Life-giving. You know, um... Actually, just turn with me really quick to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23. 
And I'll read it for you guys. It says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you turn at my reproof. Now, we don't just stop at getting the corrective word. We get an opportunity to turn. To turn. There's a place and a moment where there needs to be repentance. And by repentance, I mean a confession and a physical turning. For example, if I stumbled in a way of, man, I was just impatient. I lashed out, you know, on my husband again. And I am just talking to Pastor Benjamin and he is... You cannot do that <laughs> because that is not who you are. That is not who you are. And, I'm, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay. I can choose to listen to what he has to say or I can choose to turn and respond to what he says by believing what he says. Wait, no, I am not that person. In order for me to believe I'm not that person, I physically need to turn my mind from the thought process that I was experiencing up to that point when I lashed out. Because you can, when we make mistakes, don't we just sulk in it sometimes? We just, mm, man, and we get all pity party and all, <laughs> and I didn't grow at all. And, you know, you just feel all bad for yourself and you just plant yourself right there. But when you get a corrective word, you have an opportunity to stay there or to turn at the reproof. And look what happens. If you turn, I will pour out my spirit to you. Isn't that a good word? God's spirit will actually be poured out as a response to your turning to the truth. And to turn with me to James. We're going to look at a passage in James. Uh, James chapter 1. Verse 22 to 25. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. And when you read this, I want you to read it out loud with authority. And then get convicted. Because <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> Are you ready? Here we go. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Man. You are deceiving yourself if you are hearing but not doing. In a way, I guess I can say you are deceiving yourself if you hear the rebuke but you don't turn. If you don't turn at the correction. And I'm not just talking about a corrective word that a leader might give you. I'm talking about just when you read your Bible. Because when you read your Bible and you do your QT, there's a bunch of stuff that you say, oh, yeah, I believe in it, but you're not turning to it. In fact, the way that you act, do, life is in complete disagreement to what the Bible says. But God is saying, turn. When you hear the word, you hear the correction, you hear the instruction, turn at it. And my spirit will be poured out onto you. You know, when I first came to Korea, I was coming from a place of really trying to start a new life. I was running away from my clubbing, my drugs, my ex-boyfriend, all that stuff. But somehow, my first weekend, I found myself at a, at a bar, okay? 
<laughs> right away, right into the bar. Um, we actually did 1038 evangelism this past uh, Saturday, yesterday. Friday, excuse me, Friday, yesterday, and me and Marcus walked into uh, Gecko's, and I turned to him, I was like, is it weird that I feel at home here? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> he spent a lot of time, but you know, I was at a bar, and it was this outdoor place, really ritzy place in Apgujang, and I was sitting, this is my first time in Korea, so I kind of didn't know what to expect, and I was staring at all these beautiful women, like, just gorgeous, okay, and here's this woman, and she has this, like, purse, and I was just staring at them. And, and this girl, she just reaches down in her purse and she pulls out a mirror. Okay? I get that. You know, sometimes you need to powder your face. I'm a girl. I also enjoy makeup. I get that. But the size of her mirror was not like a compact. I'm talking about like, I'm not even kidding. It was a mirror. Like, I almost thought I was watching Mary Poppins. You know, Mary Poppins like pulling out the lamp inside of that bag and you're like how where did that come from i'm looking at a person i'm looking at that mirror and i'm like where did that mirror come from but here she is and she's just staring at the mirror like <laughs> you know like now the thing that confused me the most was that everybody else at the table didn't react that was confusing to me because if I was sitting at that table with that girl that busted out the mirror and started staring at herself in the middle of our time together, I would have probably said something or looked at her. You know what I mean? But nobody was reacting at all. It was as if it was the most normal thing. Like she was taking a sip of water, her just staring at herself there. And then I'm just, I'm staring because I'm thinking, okay, how long can she do that for? And I'm totally disengaged with everyone else at my table. And I am staring at this girl, staring at herself in this mirror. And finally, this other girl taps her on the shoulder. I'm like, here it goes. You know, she's probably going to be like, just put that away. She taps her on the shoulder. It goes like this. The friend hands her the mirror. And then, then she proceeds to look at herself. And I was just, what is going Korea is crazy. Now, let me tell you something about how New York is. New York, yes, we check ourselves out, okay? When there's a reflective building, you're going to look at yourself. But listen, you're not going to do it in a way where people can tell. It's more like... <laughs> if you're in an elevator with a mirror, you're just going to... As if you don't do it, because you don't want to come off that way. But Korea, they, they're not ashamed. And now it's to the point where I've been here for five years, and I go to elevator with the mirror, and I'm facing the mirror now. And I'm just wiping stuff away. I'm checking. And I don't even care anymore because it's Korean. That's what they do. But, you know, what happens is we get so obsessed with the way that we look. And we're just constantly, man, I wonder what we look like. I wonder what I look like. I wonder what I look like. Sometimes when I don't care, I come home and then I look at myself. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Nobody told me that. What you got right in between my teeth. You know, sometimes when you wear, like, name tags, I remember at New Philly, we used to just write name tags, and I'd wear that all day and completely forget about it. I'd be at the movie theaters, my name is Erin, you know? And, I'm just, and later on, I'm like, oh, my goodness, and rip it off. Nobody tells you. But there's this desire that we have to look to gauge who we are. Unfortunately, in Korea, a lot of who you are is in what you look like. And there's an obsession about that. Thus the plastic surgery, thus the extreme dieting, thus all the things because people are concerned about who they are. But in the same way, it says right here that a person who hears the word but does not do the word is like someone looking in the mirror and walking away completely forgetting what you look like. Completely forgetting. 
You know what that means to me? That means when you hear the word, what you are actually hearing is what you look like. What happens is when we look at the Bible, when we read the Bible, we feel inadequate. We feel disqualified. We, f- we read this and we're like, that's just not who I am. Therefore, I should just go in the corner, wear the dunce cap, and feel bad about myself. Because I feel so far from what I'm reading. And we just don't connect. But what I want to propose to you tonight is this Bible is actually a true mirror of who you are. The people that you admire in this word, that's you. This is your lineage. I remember preaching a word about that in the beginning of this year, that when we talk about being sons, we're talking about the seed of Abraham. That means all the men of faith, all the women of faith that we read about in this word that we are just so blown away from. Wow, I wish I could be like her. I wish I could be like Ruth. I wish I could be that, like Esther. I wish I could be like Abraham. That is your lineage. That's your family. You know, when I look in the mirror, I see my mom and I see my dad and my brother. I don't know how that works. But I look like my family. We got the same blood. We got the same DNA. We're sharing the same DNA. There's something about me that is manifested because of who my parents are. And what we do is we look at this Bible and what we think is it's, it's a litmus test to who we are. Do we measure up today? No, I didn't do this. Therefore, I didn't measure up today. But what I want to say is when you hear the word and you do the word, you're believing that this is actually your mirror. And I'm talking about being a people that, yes, is obsessed with looking at yourself, but with the right mirror with the right perspective. You know, Judy's been living with me. She's a member at the Itaewon campus. She's been living with me with Joanne, and Judy brought this mirror with her, and we call it the skinny mirror. Because when you look in the skinny mirror, let's just say it's distorted, okay? But it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because when you look in the skinny mirror, you're just like, whoa, you just look super tall, super skinny. It's It's just one of those mirror that's angled. You ever do that MacBook app where you, like, mess with your face, and it's like gets wider, longer, and all this stuff, these distortions. You know, when we read the Bible, immediately what the enemy is going to try to do is begin to distort it. And he's going to try to mess with your reflection and tell you, actually, this is who you are. And it's going to end up being so many Christians walk around living life thinking they look like what they see in a very distorted mirror. Can you imagine having uh, a mirror that makes you look, I don't know, way shorter than you actually are, and you believe your whole life that you're just that tiny, and one day you look in a real mirror and you're like, what? Can you imagine how confused you must have been? I remember back in the day when you go to carnivals, they'd have those houses, houses, they'd have this like fun house with like the mirrors, and you just like look in front of the mirror, and each mirror would distort you in a, in a certain way. So many believers have a distortion of what they, what they actually look like. Now, what I want to tell you is that what the word of God says is truly your reflection. When we act outside of what the word of God says, we're not acting as ourselves. But the key, the key to not forgetting who we really look like is to be a doer of the word, not just to hear I'm not here just to tickle your ears today. I'm here to challenge you guys.
Because you can very well walk out of this room and say, hey, that was a pretty good message, and completely forget what I just said. Completely forget what you look like, just as described in James. But if you hear this word and you tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to apply this word and believe that this book here is my lineage, it's my family, it's my reflection, telling you, God's spirit will be poured out on you. Life is going to flow. It's suddenly going to become a life-giving message. You know, thing about different kind of mirrors is that we have one that I... I'm trying to illustrate as the word of God, but there is a bunch of other mirrors that we see. And what happens is sometimes we look at this mirror and then right after we look in another mirror, the mirror of what we think our friend thinks of us, the mirror of what we think our boss is thinking of us, the mirror that sometimes we struggle with what we think we look like, our own perception of ourselves. And we get confused. And there's a temptation to Man, believe in that second image. But I'm telling you, it's you got to hold fast to the word. I want you to just turn to your neighbor and tell him, you look good. And don't forget it. Come on, you look good and don't forget it. Thank you. Man, you know, the enemy is so successful in attacking us because we forget what we are, who we are. He's so successful in, in breaking us, discouraging us, deceiving us because we forget what we look like. And what I mean by look like is I'm not talking about physical appearance. I'm talking about our heart, who we are. We forget it. Because we hear it, we don't apply it, we don't turn from the ways that were opposite of that. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves back in a place of defeat. Back in the place of doing the same mistake again. And we get frustrated, and we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand what happened. The key is not just hearing, doing, but tonight I just want to emphasize the word turning. It's about turning. Now, when you read your word, I don't know about you, but I get challenged. I get confronted with my own unbelief all the time when I read the word. Sometimes we read passages and we're like, oh, yeah, that was a good word. But if we really read some of these passages, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And you're like, oh, amen. And then something happens and all day you're like, all in a bad mood. You know what happened right there? I heard, but I didn't do I saw my reflection and then I completely forgot it. You gotta turn. And I'm saying this from a position where I understand how hard it is and how easy it is to forget the turning part. You know, there's so many believers that are caught up in the repentance of, oh, forgive me, that's wrong, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but they don't turn. They don't turn and they find themselves staying in that place of misery because it's torture. It's torture. If turning at God's repute gives life, then can you imagine what not turning does? I don't want to say that, but, you know, someone just shouted that out loud with conviction. But 
Yes. <laughs> and by turning, I'm not talking about following your emotions because a lot of times emotions need to catch up. They just slow. All right. Our emotions just are slow, fast to respond the wrong way, <laughs> slower to respond the right way often. And when we're going through trials, perse- persecution, people slandering us, misunderstanding us. And then we read James chapter one, verse one, and it says, count it all. Oh, chapter one, verse two. And it says, count it all as joy. Your emotions aren't necessarily going to want to turn to that word. But this is where faith comes in. You know, I really, Pastor Benjamin preached this message recently, and it just tore me up. It was called Repent and Believe. Repent and Believe. And he was talking about the power of repentance and how repentance cannot happen without faith and how repent and believe is a one-two punch. Because if you repent but you don't believe that you can turn from this, you actually didn't repent at all. You know, when I was struggling with a lot of my sin, there were a lot of things that I was dealing with that I repented all the time, but I did not believe I could change. And I would just sit there and be like, God, I'm so sorry. I made this mistake again. I did this again. I did it again. But my prayer wasn't, oh, if I confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It was, uh... I'm just probably going to end up staying here and I'm probably going to have to repent tomorrow because I know that I can't get out of this. You got to have the one, two punch of repent and believe. You got to believe that when you repent, when you turn away, that you are actually going to stay in that place. But too many of us believe more on the other side that we can't change. We're so, we have so much more faith in our incapability of changing as opposed to God's ability to change us. But we got to believe that when we turn, when we say, God, I confess, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to stay in joy today that he is faithful and that he's going to pour out that spirit that he promised in Proverbs chapter one and empower us to be able to walk out that truth in the opposite direction that we've just been walking in. We need faith. Too many believers repent, but don't believe. And the power of repentance falls to the floor because it requires faith. Faith. I remember when I decided that I was going to stop stealing. I'm trying to figure out when that happened. Well, I got arrested, so that kind of played a big role. (laughs) And um, I actually got caught. Uh, before I got arrested, I got caught when I was in 10th grade. I was in Boston with my girlfriend. And we were in this, like, shop where they had these really expensive jeans. And I grew up in a really rich Jewish neighborhood. And I was const- I constantly felt like I wasn't good enough, you know? Because at that time, like, what you wore, what you had, was played a big role in who you are and your status and your value. And I fell into that. And so I was constantly feeling like I wasn't enough. I wasn't enough. And I think that's where my stealing habits started. It wasn't really the thrill. I hated the act of stealing. I just liked what I had in my hand (laughs) after the fact. And so for me, it was a little bit different than what some people experience. But um, I was in this jean shop, and I was looking at all these jeans that all these other high school girls had. And I'm just looking at the... 
And then just, and I remember putting it in my bag, and then my girlfriend put it in her bag, and we just thought we were all good. And all of a sudden, the lady who owned the shop, it was kind of like a private-owned shop, she tapped us. And she was like, hey, um, can you open your bag for me? And I was like, oh, no. And I remember praying to God, like, God, if you let me go on this, I promise I will never. I'll be good to my mom. Like, I started listing all these, like, promises that I would keep if, I, if God would get me out of this situation. But we opened up our bags, and lo and behold, we both had jeans in there. And she called the cops, and she made us wait, and we're freaking out. We're like staring at each other and we're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get ourselves out of this situation? The cop comes and I remember he was a jerk. He was so mean. And he was like, um, our little lady, how much money you got in your wallet? And like, I don't know. Showed him. He was like, oh, so you couldn't afford to just buy these jeans? And I was just like, <laughs> the thing is officer you know like i just tried to pull that car. it didn't work okay and he was just going off at us but he didn't arrest us and the reason was is because we never left the shop so technically they they didn't have a case she caught us while we were still in there she needed to wait till we left and then pulled us back in don't get any ideas now you know what i'm saying all right but, but basically, that's why. So he just grilled us, yelled at us, lectured us, told us about a, how our parents would be disappointed and how we'll never get accepted to college. I don't know what he was saying. For real, he said all those things. And I was just sitting there like, oh, uh, can we go? But I remember leaving and I was like, I'm never going to steal again, ever. In the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, you are. And I felt really bad. I felt bad for getting caught. And I felt bad for stealing. But I just, but I couldn't believe that I would stop. I wouldn't believe that I could stop. And so after that incident, it, you know, for like a month, I didn't steal anything. But it only took a month. And after a month, I was over that incident. And I was ready to steal some more. And I just remember just continuing. And then I got arrested for real, for real, where I left the store. And I'm in the mall cop place. Some malls actually have like a police station in the mall. And I'm in handcuffs in the mall, walking down the mall. You know what I mean? Being led by the officer. And I was like, <laughs> and we get in. It wasn't even a real police station. Got my mug shot, my fingerprints, and I'm freaking out and all this stuff. And But I remember thinking at that moment, I will never steal again. Ever. Like, I will not. I just believed it. I don't know if I necessarily believed that God was going to help me in it, but I believed it. I truly believed at that moment that it will never happen again. And I never saw anything after that. Later on, obviously, when I came to Korea, I repented for all my stealing. In fact, I got so broken about my stealing habits that I packed everything that I stole in the course of my starting from high school when I started. And I filled up an imigabang. Imigabang is an immigration bag, okay? When people immigrate to Korea, they bring these bags that have all kinds of zippers. And you can, like, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know what you call it Make it bigger, make it smaller. Anyway, I made it to the max size, and I filled it up with shoes, bags, clothes, all sorts of things. And it was literally like someone's luggage. So I had to write trash on top of it, and I, I put it in the dumpster. But I just got so – I just wanted nothing. When I talked about turning away from stealing, it wasn't just turning away from never stealing again. Everything that had to do with that lifestyle, I turned away from. Completely. I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't want to even wear something that I knew in the back of my mind I didn't pay for. 
I was like, no, that is just not who I am anymore. I want absolutely no reminder of that person because that's just not me. No reflection, no wrong reflection of who I am. I had to completely turn away. I don't, man, I don't even think about it. Stealing is not even, it doesn't even cross my mind. You know what I mean? Now I feel bad for getting discounts because I just want to bless the, you know, the owners after that full price blessing message that we got. I'm just like, no, you can have it all. Just walk away. But God completely changed my heart. You see, it wasn't me. It was the spirit of God, but it took my step of faith. I had to believe. I had to believe that I would be able to turn completely from that. Completely. It wasn't just, oh, I'm sorry for stealing because I did that plenty of times. Oh, sorry about taking this and sorry about taking, I felt bad, especially if I went to church, which is only when I went back home from school and I'd be in church and I'd be like, oops. <laughs> and then I just quickly kind of go over all the things that I felt like I need to repent, but with no intention to change. The beginning of that was I didn't want to change because I, it, it wasn't that I didn't believe I could change it. I didn't want to change. And some of us, we just need to want to change. <laughs> That's another message. But towards the end, it was I, des- I got to a point where I desperately wanted to change, but I, I really felt like I couldn't. I felt like I didn't, I couldn't do it. I was a failure. I tried so many times to change, and I just couldn't do it, and I couldn't set myself up for another disappointment of promising God something I couldn't fulfill. And I thought I was being righteous. God, I can't tell you I'm going to change because I know I can't thinking he was like, oh, good job. <laughs> what? Completely faithless. Completely faithless. Now, we have levels of that, of stealing, but I'm also talking about believing in certain truths. Like, you can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. We love that verse, don't we? But do we really turn when we're not acting in accordance to that verse? When we're feeling weary, when we're feeling tired, Maybe you're getting persecuted. Maybe you're just dealing with some stuff. And you hear that verse and it's, you hear it, but turning from the lies that that's not true is the key. I want you to just turn to your neighbor and say, do, oh no, hear and turn. (laughs) Hear and turn. (laughs) you know there's one thing that pastor benjamin was saying is we never graduate from repentance repentance repenting and believe we never graduate from as believers i don't care how spiritual you're going to become i don't care how mature of a believer you are if you think you graduated from a lifestyle of repentance you got it completely wrong completely wrong If you don't think you need to change or turn your ways to the truth that you hear, the truth that you read, the truth that God speaks to you, man, you are deceived. What does it say in James? Deceived. But you just got to trust in the power of God. Let's just sit right there. How powerful is God? Because when we do those statements like, oh, I can't really trust that I'm going to turn. I'm not even going to say that. Whose power are we actually relying on in that moment? Most likely, it's going to be yours. 
It's going to be yours. When I said, God, I couldn't, I can't change. I know myself. I was talking about my own strength. And that was a true statement. With my own strength, I could not have turned. But I'm talking about connecting and having faith for a power that's not yours. It says in the word that in our weakness, he shows himself strong. What does that really mean? What does that verse mean? It means that even when we know that ourselves, we cannot possibly do it. That's when we connect. That's when we have access. That's when we got to believe, but you're going to show yourself strong, God. I tried this 50 million times to change myself in this area, and I failed. I fell flat on my face. But today, I'm, I'm going to turn. I'm still going to walk in the complete other direction, believing that even though I am ridiculously weak, in terms of this, you are strong. And I'm going to do all things because you give me strength. There's power in repentance. I'm talking about life-changing power. Not just for just your sins in terms of doing drugs. You know, so many of us don't even do that anymore. (laughs) No, so a lot of times as believers, as we mature, we're not really dealing with those issues anymore. And then we feel like, oh, we don't need to do repentance because we're not doing drugs or we're not. You know what I mean? I'm not sleeping around with anybody. So repentance is something I graduated from. No, you do not understand. Every time you think a thought that's not in alignment with the word, we got to repent. And not in a repentance like, oh, woe is me. I'm talking about turning. We got to turn. That's every day. That's every day for us. That's every time I open up my Bible. I don't know about you, but when I open it up, I'm like, oh, I got to turn because I just have not been acting like this is actually who I am. Do you believe that God has enough power for you to turn? Do you believe that he has enough power to turn you from your unbelief? Because that is the question. God, are you powerful enough to change me from my unbelief? The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Let those words just sink in your spirit. I just want you to just close your eyes. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. You know, when we gather here at Joint Prayer, we're doing a corporate repentance. What we're doing is we're together agreeing on something that our nation is actually manifesting the opposite of. We're saying, no, okay, I see the suicide rates are going up, but we're turning away from that statistic. And we're saying in the spirit that the suicide rate is going down. See, we're turning. 
We're saying, no, God, we see North Korea and we see the oppression and we see what's going on. But we believe you are working to bring reunification and we're turning from what we see. We're believing. We're turning and we're believing. We're repenting and we're believing. It's powerful when we do that as a corporate body. It's life-giving repentance. Man, I know today it was a challenge all day to try to turn to the word. I wanted so badly to stay in that reflection of feeling sick, feeling like I didn't have anything to preach, feeling tired, feeling frustrated. I wanted so badly to stay there. My husband tried to get me out of that and he tried to hold up the Bible as a mirror and I was like, get out of my face. I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> Thank God I turned. You know, we're called to look at ourselves in the word, but we're also called to hold a mirror to one another, the right mirror. I'm talking about the right kind. I'm not talking about the mirror that agrees with someone's, you know, deception or someone's depression or someone's frustration. I'm talking about the true mirror is a mirror we're supposed to hold up to our brothers and our sisters. We're supposed to say, no, man, that's not you. I know you're frustrated, but you're so strong. I know you're tired, but you're so, you're more than a conqueror. I know you feel defeated, but you're victorious. But sometimes we, we come into agreement with the wrong mirror. And we say, oh, that's too bad. Oh, you did that again? Oh, I'll pray for you. I want you to just literally imagine yourself being that girl at that bar and holding up that ginormous mirror. But in this mirror, I want you to ask the Lord to show you who you really are. I want you to believe that in this moment, he's going to show you the reflection of your true self. You may not even believe it when you see it. When you see that reflection, you might see the faith of Abraham. You might see the boldness of Joshua. You might see the, um, the fearlessness of Esther. And you might not even want to believe what you see, but I want to challenge you to turn. I want to challenge you to turn from everything that says that you're not that person. And I want you to come into agreement with your true reflection. Come on, let's just pray and invite the Holy Spirit. I want you to literally imagine that. Hold that mirror. I don't know what you've been going through. But God wants you to turn from some of those thoughts you've been having this week. He wants you to turn from some of those things you've been dabbling into that he knows you know is not you. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that all across this room that you would release the spirit of revelation. And I pray, Father, that you would begin to show the rightful picture, the rightful reflection, the biblical reflection of who we are, our value, our authority, our faith, our strength.